Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt, and I'm here with head pastor, lead pastor, Vince Pieri from the Bridge Church in uh, Alexandria, Kentucky, right? Yes. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. So Vince has been on the podcast before he did an episode on uh, called What is Evangelism? And uh, that one was really good. We just kind of talked about what it, what does it mean to evangelize to people? And if you haven't heard that one, go back and listen to it. But this time we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. Before before we get into that, Vince, you want to tell everybody who you are, what you do, what you've done, um, your your history and um, rock and roll and uh, and being a famous uh, musician. Oh, wow. You want to go all the way back to the music days? Yeah, go all the way back. <laughs> Tell them who you are. That's that's part of you. All right. Well, I'll see if I can do a, a quick version of all that. Uh, grew up in a, a Christian family, but my parents were new believers mm. when I was a kid. They had come from a very tough background, so I grew up in a sort of chaotic home environment with, with parents who were really just trying to figure out what it looked like to follow Jesus. Uh, grew up in church. Ended up really walking away from God in my kind of late high school into my early 20s years. Um, During that time, I tried to make it as a musician and did not become famous, did not make it. Mm -hmm. The most I ever made was being on tour for a little bit. I got paid $15 a day to be on tour, which is probably illegal technically, but... Uh, yeah, played in a bunch of different bands and um, not because of the music, but, you know, during those years really drifted further and further from God and then came back to my faith when I was 23 through uh, somewhat of like a Holy Spirit encounter, um, just alone in a room. It wasn't at a church event or, you know, there was no one hyping up the room, but the the presence of God came into the room. I was. I had no grid for it. Did not grow up in Holy Spirit oriented churches or charismatic churches, but really, God did. Uh, I would say a, a rewiring of my heart in that moment. Uh, I ended up getting connected with a pastor named Ted Kim shortly after that, who hardcore discipled me for about a year and a half. Um, also started doing some youth ministry during that time. Really fell in love with discipleship and preaching and. I would say maybe ministry strategy was something I started to really like during that time. It was a large youth group, and there was a lot of strategic decisions we were making that I just thought were very interesting. Um, Shortly after that, I went to seminary at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, got my MDiv. And um, during seminary and after seminary, I've just been working for various churches during that time. So I worked at um, a few churches in the Chicago area. And also worked at High Point Church in Madison, Wisconsin, which is the church maybe most closely associated with Optiv. Yeah. Uh, you have Pastor Nick on uh, fairly regularly, right? He's kind of a yeah. regular on the show. He's co-host. Co-host. Oh, I didn't. Oh, right on. Co-host. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And um, now I'm the lead pastor of this church uh, in Alexandria, Kentucky, which is um, about 20 minutes south of Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati's right on the border. And yeah. so we're kind of like a... a church in a suburb of ohio the name of the town is alexandria and like the subtitle is where the city meets the country so it is literally right on the edge of like the suburban sprawl before you get more rural so we we're a crazy church of just a hodgepodge of different people yeah we have people driving up a half hour to the church who are 
fairly rural feeling, you know, thick accents and, yeah. and, uh, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. And then we have people driving down from the Cincinnati area, about 10% of our new people actually come from Cincinnati itself hmm. and they feel, you know, very different culture. So it's kind of like two cultures, more urban and more rural, just colliding every Sunday morning. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's more I could say about the church, but, but that's, uh, that's, that's the basics. That's, That's the story. basics. So today we're going to be discussing the age old question. <laughs> the the <laughs> question is old as time. I don't know if it's actually age old, but it's kind of, I mean, it's going to be more nuanced than this, but basically the question is, should we be doing mega churches or not? Like, are they worth our time? Should we be trying to build mega churches? Like how should the whole church growth thing go at what point as at what point have ha, has somebody reached a level where it's not sustainable anymore or a church reached that level at what point should they break apart and so there's gonna i mean there's a there's like a million different questions that you can ask that are encapsulated under this the umbrella of mega church and there's a lot of debate around it i mean there's always yeah. been debate around it i'm sure the pastors yeah. debate it and um some people are so super anti mega church um and then Vince, who's got 20,000 people. I'm just kidding. Vince doesn't have 20,000 people in his church. But there's people like Vince is pretty like you're okay with it and you're fine with it. I feel like I kind of land somewhere in the middle. I'm not totally anti-mega church. I think it's like could be dangerous. But let's let's just get your initial perspective on where you're coming from when we're yeah. talking about church growth. And I guess part of that, you could talk about what's your goal for your church. Yeah, that's a great question. It is a huge question, and I totally agree. It is very hotly debated. It's hotly debated among Christians who are not in ministry as they're trying to figure out where to plug in and attend, right? Yeah. And it is, and maybe the bigger thing on my heart is the debate on the level happening at church leadership, hmm. on church leadership levels. So, like, for example, when I went to seminary, I would say 95% of the guys I talked to were very anti, not just mega church, but large church. Hmm. So the guys getting into ministry, by and large, are rightly or wrongly really pushing back against the large church culture. Mm-hmm. And it's having a real again not necessarily right or wrong but it's having a real effect on the dna of the next generation of pastors mm-hmm. uh getting into ministry mm-hmm. it's very common for me to meet young pastors who are like we are not trying to grow we are not trying to reach a bunch of people we are really trying to disciple the people we have here Built the uh, community is a huge word. We want to build healthy, deep, real community with the people who are here. If it grows, fine. If it doesn't grow, fine. Mm-hmm. That might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but that's that's sure. fairly typical. And there's a lot of people that really have landed there as they're beginning their um, pastoral years. So some of my thoughts are, um, you know, in light of that kind of church culture I'm uh, in right now. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I didn't answer your question. I just said a bunch of yeah. uh, <laughs> introductory thoughts. Yeah. But yeah so the basic question is mega churches and, and like how I would think about them, right? 
Yeah. Well, how are you thinking about them? Also, what are you doing? Like, what's your yeah. what's an, what's your end goal for uh, the bridge? Yeah. So when you say mega church, the as far as I understand, the technical meaning of that phrase is two thousand people mm-hmm. or more attending on a weekend. Mm-hmm. Is that what you yeah. mean by it? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's. I think that's like fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if people, some people think a thousand is too much. I think that that's probably a nice sweet, st- sweet spot, but yeah, 2000 is probably the mega church, right? Is that yeah. the technical term? Yeah. That's the technical term is 2000. Okay. So I would be of the mindset that every size brings different challenges mm-hmm. and different obstacles to evangelism and discipleship. Mm-hmm. different obstacles to church health and different obstacles to pastoral health as well. Mm-hmm. So I would say churches of 2000 or more have very real obstacles to discipleship, mm-hmm. to, to the growing of individual believers. They have very real obstacles to pastoral and ministry health that other sizes do not have. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, based on that 2000 attendee number, um, currently at the bridge, we are doing ministry in a way that if we are effective, um, we will be at some point at that size or bigger. Mm-hmm. And we are we have embraced that path. Yeah. Right. I'm not yeah. saying we ever will actually cross that line. But the the way we're planning and strategizing, the amount of space we have in our building, if we are able to accomplish the various systems we're building and things we're trying to do, we will be a mega church at some point in the future. And everybody in terms of staff and board and myself are uh, working. Yeah. Not We would never say we're trying to become a mega church. Right. But we're trying to do things that All will the strategies lead there. Yeah, it, it yeah. will. If, it, if this stuff is effective, we will be a mega church. Right. So on that level, becoming a mega church is, is a part of the plan of mm-hmm. the next five, 10, 15 uh, years. Yeah. How, so in okay, general, the pros for me far outweigh the cons for our, uh, our uh, context. So give me the pros and cons because then I can start to debunk you. I'm just kidding. I'm not trying to debunk you. I I just, I want to know what the pros and cons are because I also think that my, my personal experience with, with mega churches has been like really negative and I, and that probably plays a role. And, and the, the big thing, I think one thing that we'll probably end up talking about is, um, like the just endless amount of, scandals and affairs and things like that that have happened yeah. as a result of me- or in mega churches and probably as a result of mega churches that yeah. like i guess so i guess here's the thing yeah what's the pros and cons and then also how how can pastors sustain something like that or like what what's the system that i mean how do you expect to sustain 2000 a uh, 2000 people church cuz you're one guy and you're the head pastor where you can yeah. have multiple head pastors or what's the deal yeah so maybe we'll start with pros since I mentioned some of the cons, some yeah. of the cons before we can hit more cons. If that's helpful at some point, you might have more yeah. that you could share that I could give some thoughts to. Right. But some of the pros are, and, and I should have done more research become before coming on here. That's right. I don't have a ton of 
like study and data on this, right. but in general, from what I've heard, um, some of the pros are for people who are brand new to faith, brand new to church, skeptics, um, what might be called seekers are oftentimes still more likely to want to show up somewhere where they can have a certain amount of uh, anonymity at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So people think, you know, the a house church or a small church is more welcoming to new people. In general, I don't think that's true. I still think mm-hmm. if I got a buddy from work, not my work as I'm a pastor, but if I got a buddy <laughs> from the gym yeah. who has some interest in faith, I would still rather bring him into a space where he can come, receive some information without a lot of attention or pressure or requiring him to um, engage immediately with the people right. around. So I think that's one pro. Um, should I keep going or do you want, do you have a thought? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll ask, I guess I'll ask questions as we go, because that doesn't, to me immediately, that doesn't sound like a pro. And the reason why is because don't you think that pe- like, I guess my, my initial concern with that would be like, if their initial uh, interaction with Christianity and the church is that they can be anonymous in some capacity and kind of like lay low, then why won't that continue to be their view of Christianity? Um, like kind of like w- what you start at has a, a deep effect on how you continue in, in yeah. your faith. So like where yeah. you start matters. So if you start thinking, okay, cause I, th- I see this happens a lot in mega churches and people that I know that are in mega churches who consider themselves to be Christians. And I don't consider them to be Christians. They think that you can, you know, Christianity becomes this thing where we talk about like pew sitters where you can go like, or you can even just watch online once a week and you're just fine. You don't have to like be a part of the the community of the church. And I don't think that that's what you're saying is going to happen because I know that you and I share the same view vision of uh, like the community aspect. That is the church. The Sunday service isn't technically the, like that's the, that's the gathering of the church, but like people are the church. And so how, how, yeah. How are you going to be able, how can a pastor or a church, turn like these people who say that they're Christians actually into like part of the living, breathing, moving body. That is yeah, not people just coming to an event right. or a show to get their fix because they want to feel like they're good people. hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I want to affirm what you're saying in terms of, I had a professor say what you win them with is what you win them to. That's yeah. Yeah. Right. So if you win them with a cool show, right, and a compelling talk, and they yeah. say, "I'm I'm in. Mm-hmm. I like this." What you've won them to is a is a show and a compelling talk, and that's right. what they bought into. They haven't actually bought into being a disciple, right, of Jesus. Right. So I just want to affirm that that's true, um, and I also think that. In general, there's always a process between I'm learning about Christianity and I'm a hardcore follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
it rarely is just a one step. I'm learning. I'm interested. Next thing, I am a hardcore follower. Mm -hmm. There's always, I think, some introductory steps, whether it's I'm watching random YouTube apologetics videos mm -hmm. or I've got a buddy I'm doing lunch with, um, you know, and talking about Jesus, who's a Christian. Right. In the same way, I think having a space a large Sunday morning service where there's a certain amount of anonymity, I think can be a very helpful first step. And then it really just depends on what happens system wise from that moment on in that organization. Mm -hmm. So what is the content of the preaching? What is yeah. being talked about? What is the new believer or uh, not new believer, new person follow-up yeah. system? Right. Um, what, what is the culture of the people who have been there for a while? So one thing I can share with you that may speak into this moment, and we don't have to go in depth into this now, but one of the, you want to hear like a specific thing we're doing to combat it? Yeah. So one of the specific things we're doing to combat it is we um, have... You know, what you count becomes your culture, mm -hmm. right? So if you count attendance and make goals based on attendance, attendance becomes your culture. Right. And that's what a lot of megachurches do. They, they make the goal to increase attendance. Mm -hmm. One of the things we have decided to do is to not, not that we don't count attendance, we do track attendance, but in terms of what we set goals based on, Mm -hmm. We set goals based on the number of people who we call all in believers. Mm -hmm. So an all in believer doesn't necessarily mean their heart is all in because it's very hard to measure whether someone's heart is all in. Right. right. But what we count are people who are coming on Sunday in a uh, our high intensity discipleship group, which is called the life group. It is not like most small groups. It is a very different animal. Mm -hmm. And then it is, uh, and they have to be serving somewhere inside or outside the church on a uh, uh, serving or outreach team. So yeah. in church, in a life group and serving. Mm -hmm. That's when we say this person is at least all in with the core things we believe will cause their faith to grow. Mm -hmm. The life groups are built on hardcore transparency, accountability, confession of sin, they are split gender, at least for the discipleship part of the time. Mm -hmm. And that's all we we count when it comes to planning and goal setting. Mm -hmm. How many people do we have who are all in? So we're currently in the process of rolling out a five-year kind of plan with the whole church mm -hmm. to try to um, get a thousand people all in doing those three oh, things. Gotcha. So we're not setting an attendance goal and we're also not setting a group's goal and we're also not setting a baptism goal, a salvation goal, an outreach goal. All right. we are counting is how many people are all in with what we believe will actually give them a path for the process of discipleship. So what do you say about the churches who are like your, yeah, well, I think that's all fantastic, but what do you say about the churches who are like big, huge, they are counting numbers and Attended. or they're counting attendance yeah and and they're yeah. like because by some in some capacity 
the, my biggest issue with mega churches and with big Christian orgs in general is there's so, to make something that big in a culture like this where things that are Christian are so unpopular, you have to compromise something biblically. Like I don't see, and usually what's compromised is the part where like we're sinners and we deserve to go to hell. Like I think that that's an important part in actually understanding the gospel. Like I would never go out and preach the gospel or t- tell the gospel to anybody without telling them the like presupposition, which is we're sinners. We deserve to go to hell. And this is why Jesus came to save us. Like, and that's the thing that I oftentimes in large mega churches see get thrown out. Like that's the first yeah. thing that gets thrown out. And then when that gets thrown out, sin nature gets thrown out. Then you have like certain sins start to get thrown out. And then you basically have this like ambiguous Christianity that isn't even Christianity. And you could argue that who knows if any of these people are actually saved, they might just be believing in a different, gospel completely so yeah i I wonder like that's my because i think that yeah like your goal as a church is probably unique i don't know any other churches that are counting uh not converts but counting uh whatever you call it all in christians like most mega churches are counting attendance yeah and yeah, yeah i do think if a church is if attendance is the primary goal it is incredibly difficult not to compromise. Yeah. It's, inc- it's not impossible, but it's incredibly difficult not to compromise on something mm-hmm. for that for that reason. Because a lot of the things that will produce more genuine conversion and uh, uh, all-in dedication, however a church measures it, mm-hmm. a lot of those things that produce those things will – in the short term, especially diminish the crowd on some level. Right. Every time we've, you know, done a hardcore or whatever, whether, you know, we've preached on what the Bible says about the LGBTQ movement and lifestyle yeah. and people leave every time we do, we've yeah. preached on what the Bible says about racism. And every time we do, you know, it's funny, we'll lose the politically left and the politically right on the far ends of the spectrum from right. preaching scripture. And if attendance was the only goal, it would be harder to preach on those kinds of things. It'd be harder to preach on hell. It'd be harder to preach on all that stuff. But yeah, so I would agree there's the temptation, but I also think there are some churches that do it well and grow very large. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in scripture, they counted they counted conversions mm-hmm. and there were mega churches born from single sermons. Well, I know you're referring to Pentecost. Pentecost and uh, I can't remember, the couple chapters later, it happens again. Do you think that those are like, because it also says in Acts that they would also like they meet in homes and were those like mega churches or were those just like, you know, Billy Graham would go to a stadium and like 50,000 people would be converted. That wouldn't, that's not a mega church. That would just be. Yeah, totally. I I can't imagine they kept meeting. That's 3,000. Yeah. Um, But I do think reach, I think to me, the, 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 the thing that bugs me is of my generation of pastors. Yeah. Is getting a lot of lost people saved is just like not in the equation. 
Why just, is why, what do you think happened to lead to that? I, I think it's a reaction against the corruption of the megachurch movement. Yeah. You know, it's they saw all the leaders fall, right. high profile people fall, and the scandals and the sex and the money and the power, and they just swung the pendulum all the way the other way mm-hmm. and just said, okay, well, we're not going to try to reach lost people anymore. Which to me is what will likely happen is most of the people with that mindset will end up not doing ministry in the next five to 10 years. And God will raise up another generation of leaders with the heart to the heart of Jesus. I did, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's not for the healthy. I came before the sick. Mm-hmm. I came to seek and save the lost. And that movement may be the multiplication of smaller churches rather than building larger individual ones. But I think that the main thing is you, every church has to just say, whether it's through planting or building this site bigger, we just have to reach people that are far from God. I mean, part of the equation in reaching people is like a shared agreement. I mean, if you and I go out, let's say like we want to go out to a campus and just share the gospel with people or whatever, you know, or let's say me and you and like five other people from five different churches want to go do that. My suspicion is that we're going to have like six different ways of sharing the gospel. That's going to be happening. And I, I have a hard time thinking, I guess what happens is like, certain people emphasize certain things. Certain people don't really talk about certain things in the gospel. And it becomes this like, that's my one of my issues with like college ministries that people have heard on this podcast before is that like like the, the you'll start to pick and choose what things you want and so as you grow as mega churches grow and you have to hire on new pastors like you have to be to sustain the amount of people to make sure that you're pastoring everybody yeah. and so yeah. how can you hire on cuz one of the issues i've heard too with mega churches is that they will hire on pastors they'll have like four or five, six different pastors who aren't all like theologically connected or evangelistically connected on like, what does it mean to what, what is the gospel truly? What is truly the gospel? What's essential to believe? What's not essential? Is that even a question? What's consequential? And so what, how do you know? I mean, I, I go, so right now I go to Bethlehem Baptist here at, uh, in Minneapolis is where John Piper started. I think he, he didn't start it, but he grew this church like a ton. And now it's, it's uh there's Bethlehem Baptist downtown north and south and we go to the north campus but each church is like its own separate has separate elder boards but then there's also like one big daddy elder board that's what that's not what they call it but there's one top dog that yeah they call it the big daddy elder board there's this <laughs> uh there's one top dog elder board that kind of is over all of it that has people from different elder um elder boards of each church and they're like super, super, super um, strict, like theologically on who's yeah. allowed to even be a member or be a part of the yeah. elder boards. They're, like, obviously, if anybody knows John Piper, like you have to be ca- like Calvinist through and through. You have to be like pretty theologically conservative. Um, yeah. And so and I, I, have, I actually, am, to be honest, like I appreciate that because I think it like allows for some stability Whereas there's other churches who will have three different pastors with three completely different theological beliefs. And it seems to cause a ton of confusion. And, and a lot of people who just decide, I just don't believe anything about this. And that's, I think that's pretty dangerous. And so how can you develop a team in a, in a church that big, how can you develop a team that's like, 
that has grace for different ideas, but also is like, okay, this is what we believe theologically. We're not going to compromise on this. Yeah, that's good. That is for sure, for sure a real challenge. I think it's a challenge when it comes to hiring communicators, you know, second preachers, but probably all the staff. But then especially when you get down into the small group leader level, like what we call life groups, because mm-hmm. now you don't even have staff. Right. You would just have volunteers. Volunteers, yeah. Yeah. So I think the way we we're, we we would maybe to really get into this, we'd have to even back up a few steps because I'm more in the framework of – uh, you know, kind of like the major on the majors, minor on the minors thinking. Hmm. So we would consider ourselves a fairly large theological tent. So we don't require staff to be Calvinist or Arminian or hmm. um, even we have policies on what roles women can hold in in the church. Hmm. Um, and but we hire staff based on whether or not they're willing to accept those policies, not even necessarily yeah. agree with those policies. Yeah, we're doing gotcha. we're doing a series on giving, and I'm of the mindset of um, there there isn't a New Testament tithe commandment. I do tithe to to our local church, and then give additional percents on top of that to other missions organizations and that kind of thing. Sure, um, but I don't think there is really a New Testament black and white. You have to give ten percent to your local church that I could stand before God and say. Yeah, um, we have a new associate pastor who, as far as I can tell, does believe that it is biblically required to give 10 percent to your local church. And I said, you should say that and you should say why you believe yeah. that. And you should tell them that I don't think that and use it as a teaching moment to to tell the whole church. You have to study the Bible for yourself. Right. And there are hills we die on as a as a church body, this organization, and there are hills we don't die on, and we can disagree on some of this stuff and still live together in unity. So that's that's basically maybe the opposite of like a way Bethlehem would handle that kind of thing. Right. I'm not saying that's wrong how they would handle it, but that is less of a concern for us in terms of how do we scale and stay healthy. Right. We, we have, have other scale and stay healthy concerns, but that one in particular isn't as big. How have you, how did you decide your, um, I guess your hills to die on? Cause I, this is something that we talked about on this podcast, something that I'm thinking through just on my own time. Like I'm trying to really figure out what does it mean to be a Christian? Like, mm. like, like what things are necessary to believe? Or like we talk about Jesus, um, a lot of people say like you need to believe in Jesus to go to get to heaven or whatever, you know. But Jesus and he said go out um at the end at, at the end of his ministry he was like go out and teach people to follow all that I've commanded. It, yeah. I don't know if he said go tell them to believe in me. I don't think he did. And so I, I wonder like where some of these Now, I'm not saying that you don't, you can, you could be a Christian and not believe in Jesus. I'm not saying that. I'm just wondering like what are the things that are really really like what does it mean to believe in Jesus? You know, like, yeah. what does that literally mean? Like, how do I know that I'm saved? And so how did your church, because every church has to at least ask this question to themselves. And how, how did your church or how did you figure out? And I guess, how is it possible to figure that out? Because I think the larger you grow, like you're saying, the umbrella 
almost naturally gets stretched out and bigger and bigger and bigger. You, you're more people are coming in with more backgrounds, more the, theological understanding, some different sides that have been taught by different people. And like, it sounds like to me that you're saying like under few circumstances, are you willing to like turn people away? But a lot of times you're going to like, you can kind of believe a lot of different things theologically and still be a part of your church. I yes. don't know if that's, in my opinion is probably way more conservative than that. But like, yeah. why, why did you get to that point? And why do you think that that's a helpful way of doing ministry as a church? I think a lot of mega churches have that viewpoint, I'd say, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. So the, I'll just make sure I'm tracking. Like, where, where, why did we land where we landed in terms of where we draw the the theological boundaries? Yeah, both for leadership and for like being a part of the church. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, I know, like, you you and I differ as far as like church gender roles and things like that. And so you do, in some ways, you drew a line. You have a line there in that, like, you're not only going to let men do this. You're yep. be pastors. You're going to let women do that. And so. Where did all that come from? I guess, and that's like a huge question. I, yeah, I don't know. That's good. And well, and, we, where, and I, how can other? Sorry, how can other mega churches do that while staying faithful to like Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Like, there's yeah. one way to Christ, and what if we get that off theologically? Because He's the Word, and we need to study the Word. And so, how, what if we get that wrong? You know, are you ever nervous about that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, and I'm I'm assuming you're already assuming this, but we would have one set of criteria for coming to the bridge, attending the bridge, you know, considering yourself a part of the bridge, mm-hmm. one set of kind of like theological criteria, or maybe to put it another way, we'd have one set of criteria for becoming a Christian, mm-hmm. and then we have a, a different set of criteria for yeah. being in leadership. Okay. So right? what's your one, well, so let's start with becoming a Christian. Yeah, so I, th- I'm guessing our view on that is probably fairly similar to any evangelical church of any size. Maybe some of the really, really big ones would think differently, but I don't even know. But you know, um, You know, to me, becoming a Christian based on what scripture teaches is admitting or accepting that Jesus is king, Mm -hmm. accepting that he really came and he really died, but he really rose. Then he established his reign in that moment. Mm -hmm. Accepting that fact is the beginning. Mm And from there, saying, I am now a subject to this king. Mm -hmm. And when you say, he is my king, you receive forgiveness from him as your king Mm -hmm. for your sins, past, present, and future. Mm -hmm. I do do think he forgives your future sins as well. Mm -hmm. And I think then the rest of your life is is learning to follow him. Now, whether or not someone has actually placed their heart under the lordship of King Jesus, I think is on some level 
a mystery. Unknowable, yeah. It is on some level unknowable. Yeah. But I think that's what saves you is saying, like putting your faith in Jesus. It's not saying he existed, right? Yeah. Because right. a lot of people believe he existed. Right. And it's not just believing he rose. Right. It's it's believing he is the king of the universe and I am his subject. Right. So that's I think where we would where we would draw the line of salvation. Yeah. So it's like the believing in the I guess the John Piper way of saying it, just like believing in the supremacy of Christ and his his glory and yeah. yeah. So how yeah, do you then yeah. how, how do you like cuz I think the main problem comes down to the and I think why so many young people or maybe millennial people like your age who are pastors now are skeptical of the mega church is because of all the scandals and stuff like that. And I think that that comes from a place where pastors have overstepped their boundaries in the sense that like they thought that they could handle more than they could. How can how can that how, how can you how can you how can you on, like know when to stop like you as a head pastor or like yeah, another head yeah. pastor because different people have different capacities for things maybe your capacity is 5,000 and mine is 200 I'd beg <laughs> differ but maybe that's what it is <laughs> maybe maybe that's what it is and and maybe I think in my head I'm convinced that I need that I could build a church of 10,000 so I build a church of five 500 and then all the pressure crumbles me and I have an affair you know what I mean? Right. Like, that's what happens a lot. Yeah, I do think, and again, I, sh I should have done some more research on this, but my just anecdotal perception is that moral failure of pastors is at least as likely, if not more likely, in a small church. Hmm. I yeah. see that, I mean, in terms of the churches I grew up in, I think all the ones I was a part of for a long term had at least one pastor have yeah. an affair or steal money. The churches in our area, the little ones, yeah. same thing. It's rare to me to find a church of any size without a fallen leader somewhere in their right. history. You see, we don't hear about the little ones, right? Because they're, they're not on the news. Yeah, but I think that the size of the church huh. has very little predictive power on whether or not the pastor is going to blow it. Yeah. I do think it all comes down to accepting your limits. Right. And building healthy systems in your life. Right. As an individual pastor to stay in a good place spiritually. Right. I think yeah. that's true at a church of, there was a church near us that we have some people at the church we came from. I think it was 30 people and the pastor was um, sexually abusing his adopted daughter. Gosh, yeah. You know, 30 people. Um, High Point has their own story Yeah, with a past pastor, not with Pastor Nick, but with, with a past pastor who, as I don't know all the details, but basically disqualified himself, you know, from ministry. Because of the money, um, money stuff, right? Yeah, it, if yeah. I remember, I'm blanking on some of the details. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not even sure that he was fired, but they would now say weird situation. Yeah, they would now say he disqualified himself, and yeah. at least in retrospect, right? So I think it is about staying healthy, and I think 
it's hard at every level and on some level it is harder the larger you get right um but i also think yeah you have to make your own integrity a higher priority than the growth of the church yeah but if you do that i do not think there is ever a place where you can say we don't need to reach any more lost people yeah we're good at what that's point that's it that's what, all we're accountable for at the end what when do you say though that maybe we need to create a new uh branch off of the yeah. church or you know what i mean One like plant. You hit 2,000 people or what, what's your threshold for one? And I'm going to, I know people don't like this and I, I don't really like it either, but like, I'm going to just use the building as like the place. And I know that that's not the church or whatever, whatever. Yeah. Um, like one, you reach the yeah. threshold for 2,000 people in, in this current building. When do you either go out, plant a new church and let it run on its own and help financially, um, financially support it? Or when do you like create a new campus at what point? Yeah. And then you hire pastors for that campus because you yeah. can't you can't yeah. be in charge of nobody can be in charge of like five campuses on their own. That's like, oh, 100 percent. Well, and you have a judgment call to make of when you get to that point. Do you make it a campus or do you just plant it as an autonomous church? Right. Okay. But I, I do think that is a big question. And it's maybe not a question I will ever need to answer because we may never max out the space we have right now we're kind of a little church in a big building you guys Uh, are in a they're in a former grocery store yeah it's pretty sweet maybe five or six hundred people on a sunday yeah and our that's including kids we've got you like over the summer we've had a little less than 500 adults a sunday in the auditorium Mm -hmm. between two services and if we packed all the seats in there, we could we could fit like eight, over eight hundred chairs in there per service. Per service, wow! So we have a lot of space yeah. to grow. So I may never lead our church to a point where I say we've maxed out the capacity of this building. Yeah, but I do think that is a very, very, very crucial moment for pastors to look at their calling, gifting limits, right. and say. Should we tear it down and build something bigger? Right. And I think more and more probably the answer should be no. Yeah. Like, I don't think the anonymity factor is like that much more valuable. Like someone can come into the bridge, sneak in, sneak out, and no one talk to them at 800 seats. And if we had 5,000 seats, I don't think people would feel that much more anonymous anonymous yeah you know so i i do think that's a hard judgment call but i also think god and i would not put myself in this category but i do think god gives different um reaches to different communicators right and i think that there are some communicators who can fill a 5,000 person auditorium. Yeah. Let's put it this way. If you can fill a 5,000 person auditorium in, in 2022 without stealing a bunch of people from other churches, and I don't know if anybody can do that, right. but if somebody can, I would have a hard time telling them they shouldn't build that building. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I'm going <laughs> to, this is something that I wanted to do. I'm going to break down what I think is like 
what my philosophy on this and yeah. you probably yeah, you probably agree with it but like my take is that it's probably i think a lot of this and kind of like what you're saying a lot of it has more to do with like top down accountability like the people on the top accountability on the top and like one down, issue that i've seen through the organization you mean or yeah. accountability of the top the accountability of the top and all the way through, but mostly of the top, because I think that people follow. I, I think that people naturally are more people are followers and leaders. That's why we have more people that follow. And so, like, if the top is doing something wrong, I think that's going to trickle down through the community. Like, you can yeah. walk into churches and you can, like, sometimes, like, okay, something seems off and weird here. And, like, you just kind of have this hunch or this feeling that like maybe something's going on up at the top that shouldn't be happening. Yeah. You can smell it. Yeah. And I think that if, right. And so, and, and then I also have like one thing that I've said too about high point, And I think this is true. Like, I don't know what would happen if Nick fell, like, because there's a huge emphasis on Nick at the church. Now we just hired pastor Devin and like Mike's working more. So like they're diversifying their uh, leadership core, but, I I feel like a lot of it comes down to when uh, Paul I think it was Paul was writing like you like people are based, I'm, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or yeah. um and they're like you guys you follow Jesus and that's that's who you follow we're just representations of that and you need to like you follow us as we follow Christ and so the issue I I find a lot of times in mega churches and not not just mega this is probably small churches and all churches is just like if there's no if there's literally like, I have a bigger problem with churches with just like one pastor. And I know sometimes they can't afford more and that's the whole thing too, but whatever. Um, but even a smaller church can have a diversity of communicators and leaders and all that. Right. Cause your elders are like required to be able to teach. It says that in the Bible, that elders should be able to teach regardless of what you think about, you know, I mean, you should have an elder board. That's like a, that's like kind of, stage number one and yep. so if you have a, a competent elder board that like follows the guidelines of scripture you should have people who should be able to teach which means that you shouldn't just put all of the teaching burden on one person and have everybody follow the teachings of one person and then if that one person has an affair everybody in the church falls apart i think that's my biggest issue is yeah. that there's not a bunch of accountability you should have like churches with a thousand people should have like three or four different pastors and they and then they should yeah. have different teachers and different people there because the paul said in ephesians like we have the teachers, we have the pastors, we have the evangelists, and we have the, you know, he gave all five of the different ministries of leadership. And he was like, these people are to like equip the church and help build them up. And sometimes I just feel like churches who put all of their their stake into one person, I mean, that that's probably where a lot of these, because sometimes it'll work out in the short term. And then as time goes on, things grow but the pastor's capacity can't grow so he just starts to cop like kind of cop yeah, out with that's good things. that's good i think i hear you saying regardless of size when you build a church off of one person's preaching gift right that person becomes a massive liability they yeah naturally now just even if they stay solid right they're what everything hangs on if that's yes. what everything's built on. And then you have to start asking your que the question as a church is, am I here to follow Jesus or am I here to follow X, like whoever yeah. that person is? Yeah. And the bigger if, – if that's your model, whether it's 200 built on one dude's preaching gift right. or 2,000 built on one dude's preaching gift. Right. 
the bigger the church, the harder the fall if the guy falls. Right. The more pressure also. And the, some the more, people and the more pressure on the guy. Right. That is a very that is maybe one of the best arguments against mega churches and maybe one of the best arguments against just building a church off of one dude's preaching gift. Right. You know, I, um, so I, I want to affirm that. And that's, that is a very real thing. And I don't very even think, cause I don't even think it's sustainable because when you, when you talk about something that like, like one thing I was frustrated with. So Vince used to work at high point church and that's one that I go to that Nick goes to, or Nick's the pastor of, he goes there too. Um, and yeah, he goes, uh, like, okay, so High Point's like a heavy teaching church, let's just say. And like there's like Nick, obviously, for people who listen to this podcast, they know Nick is really well-trained theologically and he is really good with his words. And like Vince's, like you you have teaching gifts, but I would say you're more of like an evangelist in my opinion. And I felt like when we were, when you were at one of my frustrations when you left High Point was that it felt like evangelism left with you in some ways. And I, and I was like, what the crap is going on here? And so... Um, the, the whole thing, I guess my, my question or my, the emphasis that we have on like the, the pastor who can like do it all, it doesn't really make any sense. I think that there's not many of those people who are pastors who can literally do it all, like evangelize and teach and pastor, they can't really do it all. And I think that, I think that the reason why God gave like different leadership, different um, types of leadership is to hold each other accountable. Like, I think that if, if, if an evangelist builds a church as the head, head pastor and they're more like unbalanced. Yeah. It's not balanced because what they'll try to do is their, their goal is going to be get people converted and get people in the door and naturally what's going to happen because of sin nature, I think. And naturally is that they're going to like in ways that they don't even consciously understand, they're going to start to like, distort the gospel in little ways to get more people in the door. And I yeah. think that that in a, in a perfect system is where a teacher would come in who's theologically sound and say, Hey, look, you're getting off on what you're saying. I like your energy and all that stuff, but come on, bring it back to the true gospel and, uh, and, and vice versa. I mean, on the other side, you know, if you have, uh, you know, people who are doing things weirdly prophetically, you know what I mean? Like, I feel yeah. like there is supposed yeah. to be some sort of accountability structure that God created. in when you read through like, how Paul started churches and the elder boards and things like that, that were supposed and to hold it's not right. just accountability of, uh, having a board, but it's literally accountability of like visible leadership, keeping each other in check. Yeah. In the teaching or whatever. Yeah. So that, I think that's a great point. A, a couple of, one thing I want to say before we blow past it. Yeah. Um, as far as I've heard after I left high point, um, baptisms only went up. Really? So I, I think High Point is doing just as good, if not better, yeah. at reaching, you know, uh, people that don't know Jesus. So just for yeah. the record, because I know High Point people listen to this. Yeah, they'll probably get mad at me for saying that. left with me. Um, and I'm not saying that you thought that. I was saying you you thought that maybe at the time. But High Point has grown and, and I think only been yeah. more effective in reaching lost people. But yeah. um, I think I I think what you're saying is a great point, And I don't even really want to push back on it. And I think it also doesn't necessarily conflict with, you know, let's plant churches, let's multiply always, but also you can build 
a, a single organization fairly large with that model. There's a church actually also called The Bridge in the Chicago area. Um, it's in Des Plaines. It's three campuses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all live preaching. And it's a teaching team who rotates between. There is a senior yeah. pastor of the organization. But just mathematically with three campuses and him not preaching every single Sunday of his life. Right. Um, he said each person in his church hears from him about once a month. Right. And the rest of the time they're hearing from other people and they are flourishing. I mean, and he baptized. could probably like actually pastor, like has more time to literally do the pastoral work, you know, like meeting with people, counseling yeah, people, I think, disciples. I think they're right around 1900. And mm-hmm. so I think it's still pretty. Heck. Me, once you get past 50, you have to shift your mindset of the pastor can't really be the spiritual oh. shepherd of people's soul relationally. Yeah. We so could go on. longer than that, but listen to this. Listen to this. This is what I've thought about. Tell me what you think about this. this is but can I say one more thing about yeah. the uh, yeah. single gift thing? I yeah. do wrestle with that. We just hired an associate pastor who is going to preach pretty regularly. And I'm really excited for that. Yeah. Um, I, th- and I think that the, tr- the thing I wrestle with, and I, it is a real wrestle, but one thing is, you know, even day one, Peter, Apollos, Paul mm-hmm. had such an incredible preaching and theological gift that they naturally we're unavoidably drawing massive amounts right. of followers to that gift. Yeah. And Paul's word to the people that were putting them on the pedestal was, um, all of these are God's gift to you. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. He didn't say these people should stop preaching or stop leading. He said, oh, yeah. as a hear me say, all of these people are God's gift to you. Yeah. So I think there. There, um, even if you preach once a month, there will be pre- people who are still coming to the church to hear you preach. Totally, yeah. I, you know, yeah. there's something unavoidable of that. The other thing yeah. I would say is, I think that, and I got to process through this more, but mm-hmm. the way the framework we're in, which I, 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 when I say process through, I'm saying process through before I say this is like a hill I would die on. But yeah, I think some of the benefit of having a primary communicator is that person can also become kind of the visionary leader for that part of the body. Right. I think it can be harder to say, this is what we're doing. If the guy who's saying this is what we're doing is someone you only hear from once a month. Once a month, yeah. And I think people need good theology, good preaching. Mm-hmm. But I think people also need good leadership. And I think there's value in there being like a clear, identifiable leader for a group of people. And I think having somebody doing a majority of the preaching can help that happen. Yeah. And I think there is some scriptural basis for that when you think about what I would never call myself an apostle. Okay. Don't hear me say that, but I'm saying in the early church, the role of apostle was really to be the point leaders for regions. Okay. And in that region, there might've been a few thousand people. Right. And they would come and say, Hey, I'm building structure. I'm building tiers of leadership. I'm appointing elders. Not that I appoint my own elders, but I'm saying 
there was a hierarchy of people that function in that overarching role. And I think in a healthy mega church, the, the point leader really is an apostle yeah. according to that biblical early church right. framework. They're, they're yeah. above the layer of people pastoring right. and even above a group of teachers yeah. functioning in that I'm the right. point leader of this large region of Christians who are united together. To clarify, your pa- apostle, lowercase a, not like the 12 apostles. In the, in 100%. The, yeah, yeah lower, lowercase a. Right. And to be fair to that as well, you know, Paul is not part of the 12. Yeah. But he I, was an apostle based on the gift God had given right. him. Right. Yeah. And I think I that's why I agree with you. I think that's 100%. Because I, I was just going to say, like, I think that, um, like, my, my view, and I, I want to break this down with you because I want to see all the holes in my thought process here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hear what you say. Like, if I'm starting a church, so, like, part of what I want to do with Optive um, one day is, is to build up enough money to just go out and start churches all over the country. Like I just, mm. and schools too, but like schools first yeah. and then churches because, um, that stuff is important. So take a drink of water. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what I, what I think is the best structural way in building a church, um, is this, I think that you, and obviously I'm complimentarian. So I think that men are elders and people already know that you don't think that, um, but we can we we have an all male elder board. Oh, really? Yeah, we have an all male elder board, and we but we allow uh, women to preach. Don't you have female pastors? Yes, but they're not they're not elders. Yeah, so they're just so like we'll they, use the pastor title. Yeah, for gotcha. female, you know, outreach pastors a female, yeah. small groups pastors a female, but our elder board is is just guys. And so that you think that guys can only be elders? I'm I'm like fifty five percent on it. Fifty five percent, yes, they can only be men. Or 50, yeah. I gotcha. But I gotta. I'm very open about this with our elder board. I'm like, this is our legacy as a church. This is where I'm at. But there are some views I hold that I'll die on. And there's some that I feel kind of still in, in process on. And I'd rather just admit I'm in process than pretend I'm a hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, that that was a side thing, but here's the, here's the deal. I'm going to break it down for you. Tell me what is a stupid idea or not. Um, Cause this is what I thought about for a couple of years. Because I think that there's a serious church structural problem, and I think that we yeah. we create idols rather than uh, pastors and and people who are like supposed to do the work of God. I think we end up you know creating our own idols that we worship. And so yeah. here's what I think. I think like I'm going to use like a church of 500 people as the example here. I think Great. if you had a church of 500 people, unless you had an elder board of five to seven, I would do an odd number in case. He, I mean. An odd or an even number doesn't really matter. Like if, if tough decisions need to be made, an odd number might be best so that you could take a vote or you yep. could just make that rule where it's like unanimous. To, it needs to be unanimous too. Um, but five to seven elders that li- that literally follow the, follow the guidelines of of uh, Timothy and first Timothy, where like all of those guidelines, you know, needs to be a husband of one wife and like can't or it needs to be able to teach and all these things like that. And, and people from the congregation. And, and I think like as a church planter myself, I would appoint the initial ones, the very mm-hmm. first elders. Um, mm-hmm. And then 
then as you create term limits and things like that, then I think that ch- I would, I would not do church membership. Cause I think that's insane. I think that's insanity. I, I hate church membership. Um, I would not do church membership and I would have the c- congregation like put forth people that they think should be elders. And then I'd have the current elder board decide on, on which elders should be put in and, and things like that. Um, so that's the first thing. And then I think below them, I would have the like, I would have like four, like basically what, what you, what we kind of just talked about, like the apostle who would be like a regional type guy um, who would be like traveling or whatever. And then below that, because he would be like building structure and making sure everything's kind of going in the right direction and making sure everything looks good below that. I would have like, maybe like in a church of 500, I have like two teachers, maybe two pastors and evangelists and like, a, and like a, like somebody who would be considered like a prophet, but I would, that would be like, they would be like people who set vision and pray and are like really focused on figuring out like, what does God want this specific community to, how, how can this specific community of believers reach the broader community that we're in? Um, and then, You'd have teachers who would be like literally teaching and on Sundays or teaching theological classes, things like that. Pastors who are counseling, teaching and discipling and, and, and things like that. And then you'd have an evangelist who's like primary focal point is like literally getting the gospel out to the people in the city. And Mm -hmm. and then beneath them, you would have the deacons, husband and wife. I don't, I can't remember if deacons can only be men or or not, but like, whatever, let's just say like husband and wife deacons who are older people in the church who I would have in the first two years. And I've thought this out, this is a really good idea, Vince. The first two years, um, (laughs) the first two years you would have the, uh, the people, you'd have the the teachers and the pastors kind of create like a two-year curriculum. And I think I put all the emphasis on small groups because I think they're really, really important. And you'd have the deacons, let's say you had 50 deacons, you'd have them lead in the small groups. But to be a leader in the small groups, you would have to go through a two-year training. And that seems like a long time because that means that when you start the church, that you're not going to have any small groups for two years. And a lot of people won't like that. But I think that if you took two years and you and you created a curriculum and you had people go through theological and counseling training with the pastors, they would be theologically and emotionally and relationally ready to actually lead people for the long run in two years. And then they would like, you know, you continue to do like come back for certain trainings as as you as time goes on. But basically, then the congregation would come under these deacons and they would be the deacons would lead the small groups. And there would be like a chain of a chain of command in some ways. And what would be required of and I would, by the way, I do do away with college age ministry, do away with youth groups, do away with it all like intergenerational small groups led by people who are theologically, relationally and emotionally trained and working through things things who um, are also disciple discipling people. And then I'd require elders and pastors and all the people in the ministries to be discipling at least one or two people personally, one-on-one, like at least once a week. I think that's the money. I, th- I, I think we, I think we spent a ton of money and a ton of time on things like youth group that are, I just, and I said this in a previous podcast. I think we should abolish youth group, and people, got, some people got mad. But I, I was just, I think that we just, it's a waste. So break that down for me, and tell me if that's just insanity, or if that, if that's a like you're in the church, you you run a church. So is that even something that would be even remotely possible to do? And would it work? And would it sustain people in a maybe make a church situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me see if I can 
make sure I'm tracking with the basics. So the the apostle guys, you're saying connected to multiple of these units. Yes. Okay. Right. So at the unit level, though, there's a circle of teachers. Yeah. Or the main communicators. Yeah. Maybe two or three of them. Yeah. Yeah. Then there there's a pastoral level training small group leaders. Yeah. And doing counseling and certain things, marriage counseling. counseling. There's an in-depth process of training those leaders. Right. And then there's really no specialized ministries, youth group. No. Yeah. Or college aged. No. Yeah. Or whatever. And I think I think maybe you reach a threshold of like a thousand people. Once your church gets over a thousand weekly attendance, you I split. think you, you just split. And you just yeah. do two 500 people churches. Yeah. And it's like, that doesn't take the emphasis off of growing. Growth is still there, but you yeah. just, you just split for the sake of, I think that like 500, 2000 is like, you're going to have a good community and people are going to know like each other. I like that, man. I like the splitting idea. Actually, if you can build that in the culture, I think that can be really good. I don't, I'm not saying I've seen it. I'm just saying I like the idea of it, you know? Yeah. And I think that's likely if we ever fill this building, in theory, oh. we'd be maybe 2000 at that point. I I think what we would likely do would be, hey, we got 400 people coming from, you know, 20 minutes north. Right. Let's plant a church there right. and send those 400 people there, right. which would drop our attendance a bunch, but it would build the kingdom. Right. And then we can rebuild from there as we reach more people in our, you know, right. we free up a bunch of seats in theory. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great model, man. I think that would work fine. I don't have the aversion to um, some specialized targeted ministries like youth and kids that maybe you have. Yeah. Um, uh, we, I think, do think the same way in terms of neither of us are big fans of like a ton of different ministries, like right. college age, singles, yeah. empty nesters, where they come and they just kind of hang out. Yeah. Uh, I think that just it, it, it complicates the whole church to the point that it's really hard to make sure there's genuine, really good right. discipleship happening at those things. And it, they become right. more social than transformational. Right. It, it redefines the word ministry. You confuse yeah. people on what the crap is a ministry if I'm coming here and just hanging out with buddies. Like that's right. not ministry. That's different. Yeah, I think they're in the in the words of Nick Gibson, I think there are some long term unintended consequences when you mm -hmm. send staff time, staff money, mm -hmm. building space to two things that are not actually transformational. They're just social. Yeah. Right. I don't mind specialized ministries for younger ages just because they are different enough developmentally that I think it's worth the, you know, division or extra time or energy to target them in a way, that, especially for kids, but I would say for students as well, to target them in a way that yeah. will be a place where they can grow and also bring, uh, people who don't know Jesus too. Right. Yeah. Whatever that's worth. I like the training too. Um, this is maybe not uh, even a pushback against it, but the way we do leadership training is essentially, there are some exceptions to this. If someone comes in and they really know what they're doing, but in general, we do an apprenticeship system. So you might not get a year or two years of training, right? 
But in theory, you've been in a life group for a year before you lead a life group. Yeah, that makes sense. So you've really seen. Yeah. It's fun. Just the other week, we had a, you know, a guy on the edge of, I don't know who's eventually going to listen to this, so I won't see all the details, but a really (laughs) heavy situation in our life group Yeah, that that really felt kind of past my comfort zone. Yeah. And I was praying, you know, God, give me the words. And I think I did a decent job. But after I kind of had this confrontational moment with one of our small group members, I was watching one of the guys who were going to tap to lead going, I am so glad he just saw this come up. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad he just yeah. saw me attempt to speak into it. Right. Not that I did it perfectly, but just so he's got exposure to it. So when he's leading, he's like, hey, I've seen this. Yeah. I've seen the stuff that comes up. So in general, I think the amount of training for small group leaders, the lack of training for small group leaders is a huge part of why small groups struggle so badly in most churches. And in return, pastors struggle because they, what, what ends up being things that probably could be dealt with by small group leaders has to be something that has to be dealt with by a pastor. Especially in that like three to 400 level. There's a lot of that. Right. That happens. Yeah. Once you get to five, six, seven hundred, I think in general it doesn't end up becoming more burden for the pastor because they just never even hear about it. Right. But yeah. It's, but oftentimes it just gets unaddressed. It goes unaddressed. Right. And that's, that, that in some ways apart, is falls apart. Right. Yeah. That's like a burden in some ways too because you're like you really want for there to be you don't want people to think that your church is a place where you. Just don't deal with problems. <laughs> yeah, we good. just come and stay ratchet. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you? Okay, so so ratchet's kind of like Big Daddy board, isn't it? Yeah, Big Daddy board and ratchet. This is the ratchet Big Daddy board. That's that's what you guys named your elder board at your church. Um, <laughs> what's your? So if so, so for somebody who's listening to this podcast, let's say they're going to a mega church or they're looking for churches. And because I, I don't even think because when I was thinking about this podcast, I was like, are we going to really disagree on that much? I didn't really think we would because I'm not anti mega church. I'm anti I'm anti churches who only care about getting people in the door. Yeah. Like, shallow discipleship. Yeah. Shallow churches who've like completely distorted the gospel. And that yeah. sucks. And so 100%. my opinion is, generally speaking, if you stay true to the, the true gospel, you might have a harder time growing in some yep. ways because people will be more more opposed to it. But there are legitimate churches out there that are large who have really good theology, really good gospel. And yep. I mean, Bethlehem, uh, The Village, Matt Chandler's Village. church, there's uh, Andy Stanley's church. Like, yeah, I was going to say I would put North Point in that category. And so you can't like you can't like trash those churches they have their own issues but at least they're not like gaining people by carnal means or anything like that and so um i didn't i was like yeah i don't think there's much that we'll disagree on but if people are trying to figure out what to do then because let's say they how can you detect a mega church that's just full of it like how can you detect it and how can you be how can you decide what church to go to not even mega church just in general if you're deciding where to attend yeah or or maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're like wait a second my church seems like they have some of these issues that Vince is talking about. What uh, what do they do? I mean, like, how can you detect real good, solid leadership in a church? Yeah, that's good. 
Yeah, I do think Stomped. in terms of like if you're trying to pick where to go or if you want to stay where you are. Yeah. I think the two biggest questions are, is the gospel preached here? Mm-hmm. Is heaven and hell talked about? Mm-hmm. Salvation by grace, mm-hmm. you know, not by works, but through repentance. Yeah. Um, they don't have to use all those words, mm-hmm. but are they preaching the gospel with a call to repentance? Yeah. If you do that, it's you can do a lot of fluff around that, mm-hmm. and you're still going to drive away the people that don't want to follow Jesus. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can do a lot of touchy-feely stuff, but if you right. say the gospel regularly, you're right. going to get a lot of people saved and a lot of people who are like, I don't want to do that. Right, yeah. I think the gospel being preached, and then I think the second one would be um, is the authority of the Bible – you know, clearly believed in. Oh yeah. Sola scriptura. Believe, yeah. Do yeah. they believe the Bible is God's word and do they preach from it? Yeah. If those two things are there, I'd say you're in a decent place. You're yeah. in a pretty good place. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, obviously this is our thing. So I'm very passionate about it, but we, we really are moving forward saying it's really hard to put on paper what discipleship looks like in terms of like what right. you actually have to do. It, you don't want to oversimplify yeah. it, but you don't want to say nothing because if right. you say nothing, people just make up their own definition. Right. So we you, try yeah. to say what's you, like the what, – in Andy Stanley right. words, what is the irreducible minimum of discipleship? Yeah. Like if you want to be physically healthy, you might have to take – Depending on where you are, you might have to right. do all sorts of specialized things. Take certain medicines, right. um, do certain exercises, do certain surgeries. Yeah. But the core three things every person needs to be physically healthy is to eat food, drink water, and sleep. Yeah, You cannot not do any of those three things and right. survive. Right. So our three things, we say if you want to be a follower of Jesus – not to be saved, but if you want to be a follower and have any, any chance at growing, right? you have to be in church, worshiping God and learning from his word. Mm-hmm. You have to be in a life group or some kind of group where you're transparent about your struggles and issues. You have to confess your sin right. and have people love you and spur you on towards loving good deeds. Yeah. And you have to be doing something to build the kingdom of God. Yeah. yeah. We call those three things, know, grow, and go. Know God, oh, yeah. grow in community, go do something. Yeah. So I would say whether your church is teaching you that or not, mm-hmm. do those three things in the church you are. Yeah. Yeah. Find a group where you can be real about your struggles. And if the group doesn't say you have to be real about your struggles, just be real about them anyway. Yeah. Tell the people you're with <laughs> what you're going through, what you're wrestling through, confess your sin. Change they the may culture. Yeah. Badly, right. But let them do it. And, and a lot then of times, sign up to do yeah. something. I was going to say, a lot of times that consistency is what can change the entire group. Like if you just consistently come there and you're just like, yeah, I struggle with this and I need help with it every week. Either people are going to quit and leave because they can't handle problems and because they're shallow or people are going to be like, okay, maybe I, maybe, well, one, maybe I can help this person or I got another problem that I got that I need to bring to the table. The whole group goes deep, 100%. 100%. Yeah. And tell you so have to have some balls. Yeah, you have to do it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So get yourself in that kind of community. And then 
don't just do those first two. Yeah. Don't just know and grow. Right. Don't just know God and grow yeah. a community. But go find some way to use the gifts and talents and abilities right. God has given you to build the kingdom. And for some people, that might be just holding the bulletin at the front door as a first step. Right. It might not be right. to go on the street corner and preach. Right. But do something. Christians, right. one of the ways we talk about is Christians are like car batteries. Yeah. They are recharged by being used. Mm-hmm. And if you yeah. sit, you know, if you have a car sit for months and months and months and never get turned on, the battery dies. Right. Yeah, and our true. faith dies if we just right. go to church and have good community. Yeah. You this have is, to right. contribute to the mission yeah. of God in the world. This is like the paradox of Christianity that we talk a lot. Christian, Christians talk about it's, it's, it's salvation through grace and, and God's mercy. But also in the Bible, it also says that faith without works is dead. And that's, that's a fair, that's a paradox. Cause you're like, well, I thought I didn't have to do anything to be, to, to be a Christian, but it's like, yeah, well, what, what you believe in is what you're going to do. So, like if you truly believe in this message of Christ, then you're going to go do the things that are going to help spread that message. And so it's kind of like this circle, I guess. What's the, what do people do? What do you, there's people listening to this and there's people who are out there who've like been deeply hurt by the church and hurt mm-hmm. by mega churches, hurt by pastors who just have sucked and who have had affairs and, and, or taken money or, just berated people, controlled people, treated people terribly. What? And there's people that I know who have grown extremely bitter towards the church in general. And I think like, I mean, in some ways it's like, yeah, in a lot of ways it's justifiable that people would be angry towards the church because as we know, the church is made up of us and we suck. And so it's like, yeah, this thing's going to be pretty crappy, but it's also a requirement that we continue to try to work within the church, in the community. And I'm talking about like the local church, working within the local church and trying to build up the kingdom of God in whatever um, local church that you are in. What do you say to people who have in some ways just completely given up and like, I don't need the church? Yeah. They still believe in Jesus, but they're mad at the church. They don't go to church anymore. Yeah. I, and I would, I mean, I, I don't know if they, yes. Yeah. I'll say yes. Cause I don't know if they still believe in Jesus, if they've completely given up his bride, like who knows? Right. But they would at least say they, they would still say. believe in Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Cause there's a scenario. I'll give a little story. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be as vague as possible. Um, but like, there was a situation a couple of years ago where somebody invited me over to their place and they explained like all of the problems with the church that I was going to. And like this church is this way and it sucks this way. And the pastor is this way. And like, this isn't how the God wants the church to be. And it was just like, and like maybe some of the points were like good points, biblical points. And like, maybe I even agree with some of the points, but it was like coded with so much bitterness, anger, and hatred that I just was like, I don't really want to have anything to do with this because what I've experienced in the church is, yeah, a lot of these people are jerks and they like treat me like crap, but there's the reason that I'm even a Christian is because of the church. So like, there's a good, it's like a family. It's like, yeah, my brothers are jerks sometimes, but they're also my family. So they do good things. So what's the, I guess, yeah, what do you say to them? I think I would say one I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, even though it's not me. Hopefully yeah. that was 
the person who hurt you, but I'm so sorry you were hurt. On behalf of people in leadership, we screw it up a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I would say is if, if you still consider yourself a follower of Jesus, even if you never go back to that church or any church, you have to forgive for yeah. your sake. You are not mad at the church. You are mad at a person from a church. And you have to forgive that person if you want to be spiritually whole. Mm-hmm. Before we even talk about going back to church, you have to get with God and say, I am holding on to hatred towards this person or that people for what they did. And let what can you do to walk through that process of forgiveness? Yeah. Uh, I'm just kind of off the top of my head, but I think I would say God hates hypocrisy. Yeah. Just as much as you. Right. The first time hypocrisy arose in the church with Ananias and Sapphira, God struck them dead. Yeah. Now he seems to have changed his ways on that, at least for now. Yeah. But he hates it as much as you do. Right. And I would also say God also hates isolation and being disconnected from the body. Hmm. You will die. Yeah. You will die spiritually sooner or later. Yeah. Like, you know, he says, uh, the hand cannot say, I'm yeah. no longer a part of the body. One of oh. the grossest things you can imagine is a hand laying on the ground severed from a right. body. No, that hand is right. dead. It's dead. It's yeah. here. It's wriggling around. It's even grosser. Right? Yeah. You picture eyeballs laying on the ground or or feet laying on the ground, severed from a body. You go, that ain't right. Right. That's what God sees when he sees you. Yeah. You are meant to be connected to a body. And it is better mm-hmm. if you're a if you're a hand, it's better to be connected to an imperfect body than to be severed and laying on the ground. Right. I think to your point where you're talking about forgiveness, because I think that's huge. Um the, yeah, I think you're, I, I didn't even think about that when I asked the question, but I think that's probably the root of it. It's like, and that's the root of most of our problems as human beings. All of our problems is that we just like, we think for some reason we're not, we're, we're entitled to not forgive people for the things that they've done, even though we are forgiven by Christ. And uh, the Bible said, like the Bible says, Matthew six fifteen, ESV, but if you do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. and that's basically what you were saying. I mean, it's in an essence, kind of what you were saying. Like you can't, you can't have all the benefits of God's forgiveness and then choose not to give that to other people. And that's, uh, I don't know. That's just an important thing. Cause I know there's a lot of people out there that are ch- hurt by the church. Um, but I found it to be, I think when I talk about the church, I always get a little bit emotional because I think like the church is a local church and, and the people in it. It's like, I have a, I have a, I feel like my personally, I have an interesting relationship with that, the church. I feel like part, part of me is like, these people frustrate me probably more than anybody else I've ever known. But also, these people love me more than anybody else I've ever known. And so, like, that's probably the, like, the right tension to have. I mean, you should probably feel that way about God in some ways. Like, dude, this guy is so frustrating. He like makes me do these things. I don't want to, but he also loves me a lot. And so I think, um, and he, he's also very like, he, he, like you're saying, he's supreme over things and he's, he always is looking out for, um, what's right and good. And so I don't know. I, I don't, is there anything else? I mean, we could, 
Did you feel like that was the direction that we were going to go with this podcast? Yeah, I thought this was great. I could give a couple thoughts for church leaders if you want before yeah. we go or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I think the last thing I would just say in terms of, so, you know, you kind of said, well, first, I love what you just said about the, you know, it's the most tough place, but it's the most loving. I think that's 100% true. And that's also a great word for that person who's drifted away. Mm-hmm. Um, we we briefly addressed, you know, the person who is trying to stay at their mega church or not. Mm-hmm. The other group of people, if there's any of them listening, young leaders, think people thinking about ministry, maybe people in seminary. I'm, I imagine you got some of those on here. Mm-hmm. Um I think I would just challenge you, that that person, not you, Andy, but that person going down the pastor road to say reaching lost people is not something the American megachurch invented. Right. It's yeah. something that Jesus came to do. Mm-hmm. And he said, I came to seek and save the lost. Mm-hmm. Discipleship is when you say, I'm learning to do life like the person who is discipling me. Mm-hmm. Discipleship means learning to follow Jesus. And Jesus's mission statement was, I came to seek and save the lost. Mm-hmm. So if you have a plan to disciple your church that removes the mission statement of the person you're trying to emulate, right. that's not discipleship. Right. That might be moral improvement. Right. But that is not actually learning to become like the person you're saying you're following. Right. Like if I said I'm a disciple of Andy Schmidt, mm-hmm. a true based on the biblical definition, he would need to be much better looking. <laughs> no, I would say my I need to start a podcast because I'm yeah. a disciple of Andy and he started the podcast. Right. A disciple of Andy isn't someone who's right. just listening to your podcast, a right. true disciple based on that biblical definition is someone who's, who's doing a podcast. Right. And if a disciple of Jesus is someone who's learning to do the thing Jesus did, which he said, I came to seek and right. save the lost. So I would say your job as a spiritual leader is to make disciples and teach them to obey everything. Yeah. Make disciples, teach them to obey everything. Yeah. That's it. And if you ignore the make disciples part, you got no business being a pastor. Right. You should get out. You should not do it or you should change your mind because you are going to build a spiritual country club. Yeah. And it might be a 50-person country club, but you're going to build a church and not build the kingdom. Yeah. And you're hurting more than you're helping. To what you said also, is there a, part- a little harsh. It no. ended harsher than I played on it. But no, I think that's good. <laughs> you get the idea. Also, people are used to like – Harsh things. <laughs> that in this podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. The did Paul say somewhere that like follow me as as I follow Christ in some way like yeah. in some ways like yeah we're supposed to imitate people who imitate Christ that's yeah. part of what discipleship is but in in an essence it's basically just imitating Christ like imitate right. the parts like for Vince like there's a lot of stuff that I just have to completely ignore. I'm just kidding. I, I but, but, but true. Like, yeah, I, there's a lot of stuff, even with Nick that I have to be like, okay, I don't know as, as my understanding of Christian doctrine and how Jesus, who Jesus is right now. I don't think I'm going to do believe that or do it that way. And like, maybe I come yeah. around to what they think at some point, maybe I never do. And we just differ on things, but like your, your allegiance is to Christ. It is not to different people. And in that your allegiance is to, 
Christ in other people, that Christ will show himself through others. And you have to be able to detect which part of that is Christ and which part of that is Vince and Mm -hmm. be able to throw away the Vince part, I think, or throw away the Andy part or throw away the Nick part and then keep the Jesus part because, and that's difficult. And it's really, and that's why we have the Bible to kind of guide us in that to be like, all right, here's the Jesus part. This is written here and it's very clear. And so look through that lens. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's a good word. Yeah. Well, Vince, you have anything else you want to say to people? I think that's it, that's man. It. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And thanks for listening. If you listen to this far, <laughs> great job. Great job. Yeah. Um, if you like this podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, share this with your friends, give us a follow on Spotify or leave us a review, five star review, big five star review, big daddy five star review, and uh Big Daddy Ratchet five star review. Big Daddy Ratchet five star review. Make sure you go to optivenetwork.com and um I don't know, we'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye. <laughs>